WHMP. Hello and welcome for, to all of you and thank you for joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. I'm very excited about the guest that uh, we're going to begin the show with in a few minutes, but um, I'm also extremely excited about what the voters in Kansas did in deciding to keep abortion legal in that state, um, rejecting an amendment that would have uh, said that there is no right to an abortion in the state of Kansas. Um, I am excited for a lot of reasons. I'm excited because with the midterms around the corner and all of us so worried about uh, the possibility of the of Congress shifting to a Republican uh, dreadful, consequenced majority. We have the Electoral College to deal with and gerrymandering and Citizens United and the gutting of the Voting Rights Act and the what Dan and I were talking about the other day with Professor Bruce Miller, the tyranny of the minority of 40% over the majority of 60%. It is all so worrisome, and here is a glimmer of hope. Kansas is a state that brought us Brown versus Board of Education. Kansas is a state that, that brought us the Scopes trial. And um, it is a deep red state. And yet, 59% of the roughly 800,000 voters who voted on this um, uh, state ballot question, 59% um, said that they want to keep abortion rights in Kansas, and 41% said that they didn't. It's very hopeful to me, and ever the Pollyanna, I keep thinking that there's hope um, for us. And this is a glim, a, a, a glim sort of uh, vestige of don't lose hope yet. It just speaks to how important it is that we uh, pay attention to what's happening in those red states and that we advocate there's a whole lot of culture there that's uh that that is not in sync with the trumpian republican party or even the tea party these days and um, if we hit them where it hurts like that which people believe in perhaps we can retain the majorities we need to um build a better build back better the united states uh, so i just wanted to lead with that um despite the fact that we're going to go into um, foreign policy and national security. We have on the phone um, Shane Caridal, who's an attorney. He's a writer. He's the senior managing attorney for the Center for Constitutional Rights, and he was the senior managing attorney for the Guantanamo uh, Global Justice Initiative, of which I and hundreds of others um, participated, and we're so grateful because uh, we had uh, Shane... Um, to rely on. He is tireless and he is with us. Shane, hi. Hi, Buzz. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you. Um, I'm going to turn our attention first to Guantanamo. If you could give us a brief update of the uh, roughly 39 men who are still there and what's happening there before we turn our attention to Afghanistan and uh, al Zawahiri killing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so 36 men, which is good news. A couple of people have been transferred finally um, uh, by the Biden administration um, after he managed to move, I think, one person out in the first year. Uh, we finally have a little bit more of an apparatus at the State Department to transfer people. And meanwhile, the, um, uh, the kind of parole board-like institution that, uh, that decides that instead of holding people indefinitely without ever charging them, we should release them, that board has decided to release almost everybody who's not charged. So you got 36 guys there, 12 of them are charged um, at some level of the process in the military commission process. Um, and right now it looks like all those cases will probably get resolved in the military commissions. I mean, the, the odds makers seem to think that, uh, that that will happen by plea bargains even for the 9-11 cases. Um, uh, so not the ideal resolution of trying them in regular criminal court here in the United States or elsewhere, but, um, uh, but at least a resolution. Um, uh, and then for the other 24, um, there are only five guys who aren't cleared for release. Everybody else is ready to go. And so we're in a little bit of a position like we were in 2009 and 10, 
where there are certain um, uh, people who are citizens of countries where we don't want to send them home, like Yemen because of the civil war, or um, you know, potentially kind of Pakistan if we're worried about what might happen to them there, um, or other countries like that. Um, where the main challenge now is just finding kind of third countries where they can, you know, safely be um, set free. Um, and, uh, you know, that seems like a big ask um, diplomatically, but, um, uh, you know, the U.S. has a lot of money and a lot of uh, diplomatic favors and weapon systems to trade off for this kind of thing. Uh, you know, and I feel, you know, um, cautiously optimistic um, that we're going to continue to see a bunch of transfers this year. I remember um, back about a dozen years ago when we had a special envoy, the United States had a special envoy who's negotiating with other countries trying to uh, beg, borrow, steal, pay to get other countries to accept uh, some of these men. Do, do We don't have an envoy like that right now, do we? We do not, you know, and uh, I mean, I guess at the time, um, you know, we had when Obama came in about 240 detainees and by the, you know, by the time he left um, or, you know, in his last year, there were about 80. They upped the, the um, special envoy status to ambassador um, in order to kind of convey the importance and give him a little more clout in negotiating uh, the harder and harder transfer deals. Um, but I think, you know, the fact that we don't have someone with that as their main job title is maybe a little bit of a recognition that there are less guys at Gitmo um, than there used to be. Um, you know, there is there is definitely an adequate infrastructure um, there. But the thing that is missing, I think, is that, you know, Obama came in and he had replaced Bush and all these countries in Europe and elsewhere had supported the war in Iraq and other kind of war on terror excesses. And they wanted to make good on it. They wanted Obama to succeed. And so there was a lot of momentum there. And at the end of meetings with the prime ministers of these other countries, Obama would often throw in, you know, and hey, we have this one guy that we want you to take. I think that is what's missing now, um, uh, to be honest. And that's going to make it a little bit more of a challenge. You know, it is a smaller problem to deal with. It does not have the same prominence um, that it did. Yeah, and as much as I bemoan um, the number 36, it's, it's interesting. I still thought it was 39. I don't know whether that's my age or my ignorance, but whatever. Um, but it, that isn't the hundreds that we dealt with when back when you and I were working on the same team. It was uh, it, it was hundreds, and it was really hard to find. I hope yeah. that they're putting the same kind of effort in now. Um, yeah, I mean, we have not seen a difficult third country repatriation, a resettlement, basically. Sorry, I should say, um, you know, where a you know country with no vested interest decides to give someone asylum in order to do us a favor, right? The people who've gone home recently are in Algeria, a Saudi, a Moroccan, and so forth, right? These are countries we've never had a problem repatriating people to, partly because they're police states. And we know that, you know, the guys will go back and they'll be watched as closely as, as we would watch them if mm. they were uh, in Florida somewhere. Yeah. Right. Well, let me turn our attention to Ayman al-Zawahiri, um, the Egyptian-born al-Qaeda leader, we're told. He took over as head of al-Qaeda after the death of Osama bin Laden about 10 years ago. And... He was killed in Kabul uh, by an apparent CIA uh, drone strike over the weekend. Um, we all remember the United States had up to 100,000 troops in Afghanistan in a 1920-year period that uh, we remember that uh, there was something called the Doha Agreement signed, uh, sort of restored um, back in February of... Um, and then re-signed, I think, in about a year ago, I think it was in August of 21, that it was re-signed between the United States and the Taliban just before we finished evacuating um, a lot of people, 120,000 people, I think, not as many as we wanted to, but as many as we could. <clears throat> it chills me, Shane, went to see, even if he's a bad guy, to see the level of celebration on the part of U.S. officials and the mainstream media over the death of this guy by firing a rocket into the center of Kabul. Should it chill me? Um, yes. Uh, you know, I mean, look, this, you know, 
he is not Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who's sitting at Guantanamo, not being tried, has been in U.S. custody for 19 years, who was the real, the person most liable for planning 9-11, um, the person with whom, without whom it wouldn't have happened, right, is uh, someone who's been in our custody and who we've done nothing with, you know? Um, uh, it's always an interesting contrast, right, to bin Laden, who, you know, the, you know, was, you know, a financier and a maker of videos and an inspirational kind of leader, but not, you know, by any means, um, the person planning the operations. Um, uh, you know, Zawahiri, you know, came up with the notion of attacking the United States in order to fulfill the kind of political goals of all these Al-Qaeda folks, which is to overthrow, you know, the various autocracies, you know, running the police states in Egypt and elsewhere um, in the Arab world, right? He was Osama's ideological mentor when Osama was really just kind of a money man, a financier who had enthusiasm, but no real program, right? Um, so, you know, in some respects, right, as a political, as a matter of political reality, uh, you know, you kind of tell yourself, well, you know, how could the U.S. government not have tried to kill him? It wasn't, you know, necessarily a situation where they could have extracted him and put him on trial. You know, and surely, you know, the world is a tiny bit safer um, without Ayman al-Zawahiri in it. But, you know, is he the same kind of leader as KSM who ran the operations or bin Laden who, you know, inspired all sorts of other splinter groups or, you know, subsidiaries or whatever out there in the world? No, you know, not at all. And there was no organization remaining behind him, really. Al-Qaeda is sort of a brand name that gets adopted by other groups that kind of spring up around the world, right? You know, they wouldn't have spent two months planning this kind of very surgical operation if he really presented an imminent threat, right? You know, they talk about, you know, how they were, you know, worried about other negotiations, about extracting more people who were working with us from Afghanistan with the cooperation of the Taliban or getting a particular American hostage out. But, you know, look, if this guy was really dangerous, they wouldn't have been as cautious as they were, right? You know, and I mean, I guess, you know, the thing that strikes me about this um, is that, uh, you know, as, as Spencer Ackerman put it in a really terrific piece yesterday, you know, that Osama bin Laden's death and this death, they could have been proclaimed as the end of the war on terror, right? As the end of kind of an approach where we're going to continue using, you know, essentially military force to try to solve um, uh, the problem of terrorism. And instead, it was pitched by Biden as kind of part of an ongoing project in his comments yesterday, right? He said, basically, this is where you keep doing this. And it's kind of a cost and risk-free means of doing what the invasions and occupations that Biden put an end to, um, uh, you know, with the Afghanistan withdrawal, what they were supposed to do, right? You know, um, and yet, um, you know, while the blowback and the civilian deaths with these drone strikes are way less than they were for the, the full-on invasions and occupations of Afghanistan and Iraq, there are still costs, right? And I guess, you know, when we think about the costs and the side effects of continually using military force like this, uh, you know, it's worth remembering that Zawahiri himself was created by torture. Right? There are myriad accounts out there, the best might be a story that Lawrence Wright wrote in 2002 about how his torture in Egyptian prisons um, uh, and indeed the shame of his breaking and turning in uh, information that led to the arrest of one of his you know, kind of fellow political radicals is what Zawahiri's wild radicalization after his release got attributed to, right? The idea that, um, uh, you know, full commitment to violence and to this particular issue, you know, the issue that he convinced Osama bin Laden about, which is that the U.S. had to be attacked because of U.S. support for governments like Egypt that were such effective police states that you couldn't attack the Egyptian government directly, right? Um, that whole ideology that came out of his imprisonment and torture. And, you know, I think the whole thing is kind of an illustration of this sort of tragic cycle of violence. You know, we support autocracies, they squash dissent with torture. And torture causes the people, you know, who were brought in as political opponents of the regime to come out in this totally mutated extremist form. And the, the whole thing that results is just something that nobody wants. Well, that's so insightful, Shane, the, the, that uh, what, the message to, every, to everyone who followed, I guess you pronounce it Zawahiri. Is that how you pronounce it? I think the accent is on the second syllable. But that's uh, Zawahiri. <laughs> okay. Is that they defeat the far enemy, which is the U.S., and which is a sort of an essential precursor to the near enemy, which is those pro-Western Arab regimes that are so oppressive, and, uh, and that the answer is uniting all Muslims under a global caliphate of one kind or another. And all this does is reinforce how, uh, how dangerous the far enemy is, and as you say, it promotes 
the cycle of violence. We are speaking uh, with Shane Kadidal of the Center for Constitutional Rights. We're going to be back in just a few minutes. Please do stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Hey everyone, Gordon Oliver here. I am privileged, along with my co-pilot Tina Marie, to gather and share a community of people, organizations, and experts who are making a difference in improving and positively impacting the financial lives of others. Financial peace of mind is a marathon, not a sprint, so we're cutting through the clutter to help you attain or continue to attain financial freedom. When you have that little blue check mark on Twitter, you're authentic, and no one is more authentic than crypto expert Dan Held of Kraken. Listen in on Saturday at 9.30 a.m. right here on WHMP. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. Do you act a certain way around your partner because you're afraid of what they'll think or say? Are you afraid of what they'll do? If you're in a relationship, it's your right to be healthy and safe. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, or physical, you have options, and Safe Passage is here to help. It's all free and completely confidential. We are here for you. Call our hotline at 413-586-5066 or visit safepass.org. What if there were a way to go into cancer surgery or treatment feeling more comfortable and optimistic? Recorded meditations can help. Doctors have said that it makes their job simpler. Nurses tell us their patients may go home sooner and need less pain medication. Cancer Connection creates custom meditations for people affected by cancer, and you don't even have to come in. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the Afternoon Buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with attorney Shane Cadidal. Uh, you don't know it, but uh, he is every single day, he and his colleagues at the Center for Constitutional Rights are fighting for those rights that are not just the rights guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution, but by the Universal Declaration of Rights and by every sense of fairness that any of us have, he is uh, one of the progressive's best friends that they'll never know his name about. But so, hi Shane, thank you again for joining us. Uh, hey. so, so when we left, we, we were talking a little bit about this Doha agreement, and um, could you tell us a little bit more about what you know about the Doha agreement? Because I don't know a whole lot. I know that in Nairobi back in, I think it was early in 2000, 2001, that there was a, a bigger Doha agreement that uh, the parties were uh, signatories to, but the, the one that we really are thinking about is the one that was signed when the Taliban took over in the United States, which finally withdrew from its 20-year war in Afghanistan. And uh, much talk these days, including by the Secretary of State, that, um, that, they, that this... Uh, let me say it again. I guess I have to say Zawahiri, um, his death is is evidence that they were violating it. So what do you know about the Doha Agreement? Yeah, not much more than you, but, you know, the uh, 
you know, one part of uh, our agreements with the Taliban in, in series the last couple of years um, uh, uh, has been, you know, a commitment to kind of not harbor um, uh, terrorists. Um, uh, and, you know, it's interesting to see Blinken's uh, statement today. Um, you Secretary know, of State uh, Tony Blinken, yeah. Sure, that, uh, you know, Secretary of State saying that, you know, in the face of the Taliban's unwillingness or inability to abide by their commitments, we're going to continue to support the Afghan people with robust humanitarian assistance and advocate for protection of human rights, especially women and girls, right? It's, uh, you know, um, it's, hey, we're the good guys in this situation, right? And I mean, it's just kind of interesting that, uh, you know, this drone strike, you know, so surgical that it, uh, you know, um, took out one man on a balcony and didn't have any explosive, um, uh, you know, involved that a whole family living inside the house survived, right? There's kind of a stark contrast to that kind of last minute drone strike as the withdrawal was happening um, uh, that killed, um, uh, you know, a civilian um, who I think was working in like human rights uh, or sort of humanitarian relief or something like that, and a whole bunch of his family members as he was pulling into his driveway, you know, all on faulty intelligence, right? Um, so, you know, I think, you know, the, the main takeaway is that, uh, you know, uh, this administration, again, is saying these strikes are going to continue, you know, uh, and we are entitled to do it because either the Taliban are operating in bad faith or maybe just as likely they just don't have any control over um, who is or isn't in their country. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, therefore, let's not hear any complaints about this kind of endless cycle of violence. Yeah. You... Spent, you've spent a career trying to end this cycling of violence with your, um, by law, by, 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 by using the law, by a reverence for the rule of law. Um, it must be really hard for you day in, day out to open the papers. <laughs> it is, it is, you know, um, especially thinking that some of our biggest moments, you know, came from, uh, you know, a Supreme Court that seems kind of irretrievably lost at this point, you know, um, out of which nothing good um, is probably going to come um, in the years to come. So, yeah, frustrating times. Um, but, you know, the project of kind of closing Guantanamo, of getting our guys out, uh, you know, continues. And, um, uh, yeah, it's been really gratifying. I've had two men leave after 20 years. You know, one of them calls me on WhatsApp, you know, every other day. <laughs> so yeah, seems to be living. Really? That's really uh, gratifying. Pep talk about the pandemic and getting back out there into the world every time I talk to him. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it's definitely given uh, given us a big, big boost uh, in terms of getting the remaining clients out. Um, I have to admit, you know, as a progressive attorney who's, who has spent a life, my career, um, trying to do as much civil rights work as I could, these are really difficult times for me. I cannot imagine how you folks, you warriors down there, in the, in the good sense warriors, it must be so demoralizing. Every time SCOTUS does one of its magic tricks, it must be so demoralizing mm -hmm. for you guys. Yeah, well, you know, look, um, you know, part of it is that demoralization of the notion that most of our society um, takes the Supreme Court seriously as some sort of, you know, neutral arbiter rather than a political institution that sometimes needs to be dealt with by political means, right? I mean, Congress could pass a jurisdiction stripping law that takes, you know, 90% of the Supreme Court's caseload um, off of the table and leaves it with the courts of appeals, you know? That would look like a very technical kind of thing, not even as, as shady as packing the court, you know? Um, uh, with, you know, additional justices. But, you know, why not do that either? Right? Why not? You know? Congress has the power. Yeah. So, yeah, Article 3, yeah. Section 2, they have the power to do just that. Yeah. So in the minute Excellent. and a half or so that we have left, what, can you tell our listeners, what, what can they do to support your work at CCR um, and what kind of work is CCR engaged in right now? Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, you know, we just opened a, a southern office. We're aiming to do a lot more of what CCR did when it was founded, you know, 60 odd years ago, which is, um, you know, uh, litigate uh, classic civil rights cases in the Deep South, um, uh, you know, with the kind of movement oriented um, approach of building political power in communities rather than, you know, caring exclusively about whether or not you win in court. And, you know, it certainly feels like that's a good model going forward, given the courts that we have. It is a center for constitutional rights. It's a great uh, place to, uh, to exercise your donative intent. Um, there are people like Shane Cadidal 
um, doing work that sh I, I can't express my admiration for. I am proud to have been affiliated with you. I'm proud to call you my friend, and I'm really proud to talk to you today, Shane. Oh, thank you, Buzz. I, I feel the same way. Um, it's been the, the best experience the last two decades working with you and the other um, council on these Gitmo cases um, through lots of ups and downs. Uh, we certainly had our fair share. We sure did. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, you stay healthy, Shane. All right. You too, guys. All right. Talk to you. Bye-bye. I am so excited about our second half of the program because we have Nan Parati, as we always do in the second half on Wednesday, fresh from Newport Folk, New, let me say it again, Newport Folk Festival. I almost swore inadvertently. Um, and she was there for the Joni Jam. She was there for Paul Simon. I've been watching it on YouTube and I am so excited. I can't wait to talk to her. We're going to be back with Nan Parati right after these messages. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Police are investigating after a deadly crash in East Hampton last night where two pedestrians were struck and killed by a motor vehicle on Northampton Street. According to the Northwestern District Attorney's Office, at around 8 p.m., an 81-year-old man and 60-year-old woman died after being struck by a car near 113 Northampton Street. The former St. John Cantius Church is in overall good condition, according to developers who own the property. O'Connell Development Group of Holyoke says the historic building in Northampton is in need of a roof, gutter, and exterior brickwork, but the building's internal framing is intact. The group submitted a 46-page historic structure study in an effort to get $500,000 in Northampton Community Preservation Act funding for a $4.6 million rehab project. The developers want to convert the 6,000-square-foot church into housing. The plans will be detailed during a Zoom meeting of the Northampton Historical Commission on August 8th at 5.30. 20 attractions, including the Bright Nights Holiday Lighting Display in Springfield and the three-county fair in Northampton, will share in $2.2 million from the state Destination Development Capital Grants Program. The grants require each recipient to match the funds they receive from the state. Bright Nights plans to use their grant to replace the arches that make Blizzard Tunnel and add features to the gift shop before the Holiday Park's 28th anniversary. The Three County Fairs Grant Award will aid in renovating the outdoor grandstands. Mostly sunny this afternoon, a high of 86 to 90. Scattered clouds tonight, lows in the low 60s. Partly to mostly sunny and breezy tomorrow, a high of 94 to 98. Watch out for some scattered showers or storms Thursday night and Friday afternoon. High temperatures in the low 90s for Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. What does it mean for national politics in 2022 and 2024 that voters in, of all states, Kansas, have voted to protect the right to abortion? That's one question we'll review with Josh Silver, the executive chairman of Represent Us. Josh Silver will be our guest Thursday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley co-op is there corn chowder today there are things they only make certain times of year at paul and elizabeth's restaurant and with the corn so tall there might be corn chowder today there might be blueberry pie the kitchen garden farm in sunderland might arrive at paul and elizabeth's today with eggplant or zucchini what will they make with those eating at paul and elizabeth's isn't exactly like eating out of your own garden but it's close paul and elizabeth's restaurant inside Thorns in Northampton. 
The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts provides healthy food to families and individuals facing hunger in our region. And right now, with food insecurity the highest it's been in recent years, the Food Bank is distributing more emergency food than ever. Learn more about the Food Bank or get support for yourself and your family. Go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back to the program. I am so excited to hear a first-hand account of that, which I've been so excited about for quite a while now. Um, Nan Parati, welcome home. I get to be my own interesting thing today. I know, you are the interesting <laughs> thing today. Although you have some interesting things, to, some very interesting things to talk about. Yes, I do. So, for anybody who has been in a coma... There was a uh, unexpected, two unexpected and rather historic appearances in the always special uh, New Newport uh, Folk Festival um, a week ago, and you were there. And I was there. So why don't you tell us, first of all, what were you doing there? Uh, just hanging out. No, I am the sign writer for the Newport, uh, both of the folk and the jazz festivals. Park here, bathrooms here, superstars here. Superstars here, who's playing on the stage. In fact, one very cool thing is that the Newport, um, they have the Newport Festival's foundations where they raise money and it's all in, mu most of it I think is a music education. I don't want to speak for them, but I know it has to do an awful lot with music education. And they raise money, and they've got lots of great donors. But one of the things we came up with last year was I make all the signs that go on the stages that say who's playing right then. I made one for Joni Mitchell. I made one for Paul Simon. And they autograph them, and they're going to and they're going to uh, to auction those off. Oh, that is so great! Yes, that is so great. Yes. yes. Did you get to talk to any of them? I did not get to talk to either one of them. No, uh, I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry. Do I get booted off the show now? Uh, yes. I'm oh, sorry. Please. No, but <laughs> you know, it kind of stole my thunder. Here was my intro. Yes. My intro went something like this: As a jazz freak, uh huh. There are some um, lyricists and um, composers that I elevate to sort of, I deify. Uh -huh. They're just unbelievably fantastic. There are so many wonderful ones, right. but some are just special. Uh -huh. And some of those are like Sondheim in the theater, right. or Rodgers and Hammerstein, or Rodgers and Hart. But Joni Mitchell uh -huh. and Paul Simon are just, I can't think of too many others in any genre of music that are both, such serious poets, right? Such great observers of the human condition, yes. And manage to marry the music to the words in a way that is so memorable. Even though I'm not an aficionado of either of their genres, whatever their genres might mm -hmm, be, mm -hmm. I love them each. <laughs> I do too. That was. Wait, I have a question for you, Buzz. Dan has a question. When did you fall in love with them? I think in the 60s, you know, and, and when I first like heard a concert them. that you went to and heard them, or did you hear no, them on the radio? No, I bought, I, I bought vinyl, Dan. <laughs> Tell me what Back that before is. Before you were born, <laughs> there were these round vinyl. things. They're round things with yeah. grooves in them. Mm -hmm. And believe mm -hmm. it or not, you stick a pin in the groove and you get music. Yeah. And, wow. No, seriously, it was obviously it was Simon and Garfunkel when I first mm -hmm. heard mm -hmm. them. And then it was Joni Mitchell. Um, mm -hmm. And my friend Sam Hood, it's another story. Sam Hood is the one who told, he owned um, Max's Kansas City. And, oh, yeah. And you right, met I, Sam. I met him, yeah. Yes, he did, before he sadly died in, uh, about 15 years ago. But he, uh, he would sign people and he would audition people. He, he not, he's the one who told Joni Mitchell to lose her boyfriend, who she was then a duo with. Wow. And she listened and she became Joni Mitchell. But he's also the guy who told Simon and Garfunkel to keep their day job. No way. <laughs> he said oh they were too God. syrupy. You can't really? get them always. Right I know. Much. You can't win them all. So. That's amazing. I know. So anyway, that's the answer to your question. But I want to hear from Nan. Yeah. Talk to us, Nan. Well, we didn't, they kept, one thing that I love about J-Suite, okay, as we know, George Ween uh, founded the festivals. Godfather of festivals. Yes, indeed. Founded the Jazz Festival in 1954 and the Folk Festival in 1959. And... And those were the first serious annual festivals. And so he did this, and 
He did it all those years. And we've had other producers, Bob Jones, wonderful, wonderful producers over the years. George was always the, the god of the whole thing, and then we had other mortals who handled other stuff. Right now, Jay Sweet is our, you know, I mean, he's our producer. He's been so since, since, 19, since 2015. And um, he's really great at the surprise. He's really great. And the, that, the combination of Jay Sweet and Brandy Carlisle is real magic. Uh, Brandy had Do Dolly Parton as her surprise guest a couple years ago. 2019, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. And so you never know. When, when, when you know that Brandy's coming, it's like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? And apparently, Brandy, we didn't know this. We know, uh -huh. uh, you might know, you probably do know a lot more than I do, but Joni Mitchell had a, um, in 2015, she had a serious health event. She had an mm -hmm. aneurysm. An aneurysm, right. And... In recent years, she's been having these quiet little living room. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, but that's what Brandy was talking about. So she's been having these little Joni jams in her living room in New York City, where everybody gets together. Paul's, uh, I mean, uh, Paul McCartney, Elton John. I mean, really, really big people, new people, all kinds of people get together and play for Joni with Joni, and and they do that. And Brandy Carlisle had proclaimed mm -hmm. on when she went to Grammy, I think, uh -huh. that that was a highlight of his career, her career of being part of this Joni Jam and right. meeting Joni Mitchell. Yes, yes. Very, very, very exciting. So now, <laughs> first tell us what happens with Paul Simons and tell us what happens with Joni. Okay, so we, like, uh, we, the staff, knew something big was going to happen because it always happens with Jay. When Jay gets there, and of course, like I said, but we didn't really know who. There were lots of rumors, all kinds of rumors, and but, but they weren't talking. And so we didn't actually know truly what was going to happen until the day of, of, for each of those. And in fact... So Paul Simon, all of a sudden, I'm backstage, or you know, back what they call backstage in a festival, and all of a sudden I hear Jay say, "He's here, he's here." So I back up because I'm going to be really quiet before I get thrown out, <laughs> just in case, you know. So I back up against the fort wall there, and then all of a sudden Paul Simon comes through, and I, like you, grew up listening to Simon and Garfunkel. Love, love, love Paul love Simon. Love Paul Simon. And so it was just so thrilling. He went directly into his rest dressing room, so I didn't get to talk to him or anything. But um, and then I ran out out to the front. Because <laughs> I wanted to watch this, and and I got to watch it, and you know both of them, they're almost eighty. Maybe Paul, maybe eighty by now. I'm certain, not certain, but their voices have changed quite He's a bit. He's in really good shape. In really good shape, but their voices have changed quite a bit. And so, so Nathaniel Rateliff, who I also really like in his own right. I mean, he's much much younger, but he. With, and nobody, nobody in the audience knew what was going to happen. That was also a lot of fun. So they sang a whole medley of Paul Simon songs. Uh, and then all of a sudden brought out Paul Simon himself. Yeah, they the, did what, what, what Nathaniel called, uh, uh, we're going to do a Paul Simon cover. Exactly. And then Paul Simon came out. And he was, he was very, 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 you know, his presence on stage, very nice, very gentle, very kind. And that wonderful song, American Tune with Rhiannon Giddens was just very cool. So she played her banjo, and he played the guitar, and she sang it. And, his, you know, when he did sing, you could tell his voice has changed quite a bit. But he also changed the words to that for her. Did you notice that? I did. Yes. Instead By the way, I just want to interrupt. Anybody can see any yes. of this on YouTube. It's such a gift. You don't yes. have to wait for the... Every year, Newport does right. You know, a, a three or four uh, CD um, thing. But here, you can just go to YouTube, and you can watch Paul Simon. You can watch Joni Mitchell, Joni's Jam, um, right in the confines of your own CD tell, computer. Tell me what it was like in the crowd. What did they do oh, the when, crowd he stepped, was, when he stepped out? Uh, oh, it was, it, was for it was just, it was mayhem. People just going, losing their brains. They just were screaming and cheering because they knew, you know, I mean, they were really enjoying it, but they, but they also know Jay. They've been coming to the folk festival for a while, so they just didn't, but they... You know, who thinks that these guys are going to show up? They all knew of a it was sudden? historic. Yes, they knew it was historic, and they were really, really enjoying they were it. Part of and it. the entire crowd was singing every single song. That ah. was what was really cool. The entire crowd was singing. And um, when Paul came out, they just screamed and screamed and screamed and went nuts. And, 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 and rightly so, because it was so great. And of course, I had on my phone, which I, you know, because I'm grown, I can't use my phone very well. Um, <laughs> Dan, would you find the words for me here? Son, would you find these words to. American tune by Paul Simon for me because what was so amazing was these these lyrics with everything that he sang everything that she sang they were so prescient they wrote them 50 60 years ago but yet now they had such relevance uh, American tune especially because it talks about I don't know a soul who's not been shattered I don't have a dream that's not been driven to its knees 
And thank you very much, Buzz, who knows how to do user rate. Except I just messed it up and it's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the words were just, these were the American poets. This is Milton of, you know, of, of, of previous generation. Only now, these are our poets. And they know what they're doing. They wrote this stuff 50, 60 years ago. And it was so great. And that was what, to me, really, really came through was, wow, these people knew what they were talking about and they still do. Many's the time I've been mistaken and many times confused. Yes, I've often felt forsaken and certainly misused. Oh, but I'm all right, I'm all right. I'm just weary to my bones. Still, you don't expect to be bright and bon vivant. So very far from home, so very far from home. And it goes on to talk about, we come on the ship from the Mayflower. That's the one he changed for her. He took that away. He, t we, he said, we did not come on the Mayflower, because her people certainly didn't. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and he said, we came on the blood-red moon. But he changed, that wasn't her, that was him. He rewrote those lyrics for her to sing, which also, he's Paul Simon, and he did that, which was just so cool. So cool. And it ends with, oh, and it's all right, it's all right, you can't be forever blessed. Still, tomorrow's going to be another working day, and I'm trying to get some rest. That's all. I'm trying to get some rest. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Nan Parati, who was there live and in color in Newport with Paul Simon and that Joni Jam. We'll be right back. So far away from home So far away from home I don't know a soul who's not been battered I don't have a friend who feels at ease I don't know a dream that's not been shattered driven to its knees Oh, but it's all right It's all The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2 only on WHMP Brought to you by Business West The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West the Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. I chose community mental health to serve populations that are often underserved. Megan is a therapist at ServiceNet. One core value at ServiceNet is to continue to learn to really strive for the most effective treatment if you're looking for a strong sense of community and collaboration, come to ServiceNet. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. Need a ride to the doctor? Tech support? Pictures hung? Looking to connect with others in the community? At Northampton Neighbors, our goal is to help seniors live independent, fulfilling lives by providing connection and support along the way. We are free of charge and offer a range of social and volunteer opportunities, as well as services for members 55 and older in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. Membership in Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. It's about engaging in place, this place, the city of Northampton. We welcome one and all to join, volunteer, or donate to Northampton Neighbors. Together, we can create the community we all want to live in, now and in the future. Find us at NorthamptonNeighbors.org or by calling 413-341-0160. Thank you. Rocket Mortgage has introduced a new home equity loan it says could save homeowners thousands of dollars if they use the equity in their homes to pay off their credit card balances. Rocket Mortgage CEO Bob Walters says a home equity loan could help people cope with inflation. 
Two U.S. senators have introduced legislation to allow businesses to have alternatives to current credit card processing networks. They say that would lower costs to businesses. Maybe so, but the experts Consumer Affairs consulted said businesses probably would not pass the savings on to consumers. There's a bit of good news for people who are hoping to buy a home. The rate at which prices are rising slowed dramatically in June, according to housing data firm Black Knight. Unfortunately, prices are still going up in many markets. The most expensive cities saw the biggest slowdowns. Hi, Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 W. Well, if on the air we are conveying our level of excitement about this incredible event in Newport Folk Festival, um, during the break, we just continued. We didn't <laughs> stop because Nan has brought that excitement right here in the studio, and I hope it's coming over the airways. Nan, <laughs> the smile on your face is so broad that it's, uh, it can't really fit here in the studio. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us. What was it like for the people who had to make these secret arrangements to get these superstars in front of these audiences? Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, I guess anytime you've got Brandy Carlisle involved, then something big is going to happen. So you know that. So you've got to be kind of ready. And two days out, I just heard from the – and they uh, it, they weren't really telling us even what was going on. We just knew that something big was going to happen. How big is the staff that, that, that you and your mm, colleagues? Is dozens of people? Um, Gosh, gosh. It's, it's actually pretty small. I would say the people who make it – I mean, there are, there are stagehands and people like that, but the core crew is probably maybe a dozen people at the most. It's oh, not okay. very big, yeah. Um, I mean, there are people, Jay's got his people. The, yeah, yeah but people, anyway. parking lot attendants. Exactly right, right, but, but the, it's pretty small. It's, it's kind of amazingly small for the as big as, as it is. But um, so I was talking to Artist Relations, Becca Peters, and she was telling me that the next two days are going to be wild. And she said, and I said, why? Who's coming? And she couldn't tell me, but she did say one person was, was coming by a helicopter, bringing their helicopter. One person, the, uh, the security for another person was going to be tremendous. So, of course, there are all kinds of rumors running around. Who's this going to be? Um, we didn't know. And, in fact, she didn't know until, like, about maybe just a few days out, she got a 2 a.m. text from Brandy saying, okay, Joni's coming. And so that's the other thing. How do you book a festival when you don't know who's coming? This is the brilliance of Jay Sweet. He's really good, and so is Becca. All those people are really, really brilliant at doing this, what they do. Um, and so they made it happen, and it came. And in fact, Joni did not even – she wasn't planning to come out on stage. Poor Becca had – they okay, at the last minute they decided, okay, Joni's coming. We're going to outfit the stage like it was Joni's um, living room there in New York. Find the furniture. <laughs> oh, that that white yeah, the white couch throne, all that stuff. They had to find it the last minute. They found a place in Newport that specialized in the same style that Joni apparently has in her living room. Wow! And they ordered it all. They brought it in. They had it there. And then there were two nights of rehearsals. There's a little church up there. There's two nights of rehearsals with Joni and Paul that people didn't really know about. I mean, like all this stuff is going on behind the scenes. And Joni was not planning to come out at all. She was going to sit off stage and listen. And at the very, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think it was probably at the moment when she decided to come out was when it was happening. There but she on sang stage. 14 songs. And she sang 14 songs. Brandy is also brilliant. And I've also heard that there was, there's some negative. By the way. Yes. It's not easy to do, but she has a Joni Mitchell kind of voice. She does. She really, I noticed that too. She also, um, I've seen on social media, there's a lot of kind of negativity about, oh, Brandy tried to upstage Joni Mitchell. No, no, no. She was 100% caregiving in that. Joni had an aneurysm. This was Joni's first appearance. And I want to shut that down right now if I can at all, just because that's really unfair to Brandy. She made this happen. She was singing with Joni. Joni's voice was significantly different. Joni I, was I scared. I think, you know, when you look at it at YouTube, and I really do, again, encourage anybody to, to do that, you could see the um, look of... Um, I don't want to say idolatry because that's condescending. It, it, she just such respect mm -hmm. and love for Joni, and she recognized that she was. She she later said, "This is the highlight of my life." Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I was there. <laughs> yeah, it was it was truly truly amazing. One person actually, I feel kind of bad for Paul Simon and for a lot of all those artists who were there because. Everything is Joni Mitchell, which I understand, but this is Paul Simon who hasn't been well, out on either. Saturday. The the talk of the town was Paul Simon exactly. went to Newport Folk Festival for the first time in his career, and he was unbelievable. Right. And Saturday, 
He was upstate. Hey, Who knew? Exactly. And that's what I kind of feel bad for him for. Well, he's probably is so happy for her. Probably so. But I just I just kind of felt bad for him because he did this galvanizing performance that kind of got swept by away by Joni's performance the next day. I just, I just feel bad for him. We got a lot of empathy. Where have you gone, Paul Simon? <laughs> <laughs> Man, Parati, you have been doing this for a very long time. You've been to so many different festivals. Mm-hmm. Where does this one rank for you? Oh, pretty pretty high up there. Pretty high up there. There, there was a time in New Orleans when I sat underneath the stage to listen to Alan Toussaint and Elton John play, um, and, and Jerry Lee Lewis was also there. That was pretty, but I sat underneath the stage, and I had a, my goddaughter Lola, who we've, we've had on here before. Lola was with me. She was about maybe 11 at the time. I said, come on, Lola. We're going to do something really great. And we crawled under the stage. I said, isn't this cool? Because we could hear it. We could feel it. And she said, Nan, that's your generation, not mine. <laughs> but she now has, I found the fo- she found a photograph of that event, and she has it on her wall now. Oh, she now she does. fully appreciates it. Yeah. But yeah, I've had, some, I've, had, I've had the most amazing life in the world. I'm sorry about all the rest of you, but I... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for making me feel that way, Nick. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, just getting... How do you get in, involved in all these festivals again? Do you just... Do they just see your signs and say, Nan, come on over? Yeah, okay. essentially, right. right. Um, not just that. Yeah, I mean, essentially, I mean, I've been doing it for 38 years, and so people recognize the signs. They know that I've been doing it. They know I know what I'm doing. I can handle it, and, and yeah. By the way, in, in, I know, we're always so Ashfield-centric, Nan and I, but in the Ashfield Post Office right now is this wonderful exhibit of Nan's signs. Not anymore. They got taken down yesterday. Oh. Oh, sorry. No, too bad. I, too bad I haven't you gone it. there today. <laughs> so in the minute we have left, why don't you try to, what should listeners take away about your experience at Newport? Oh, my goodness. Um, too bad it's not you. No, that's not it. <laughs> Just being there, seeing that history, feeling it. And again, the number one thing was, was, was to me was the poetry of feeling what these people had written. And it is just as important as anything, it really, that the great historic poets that we think of all the time, Milton and people like this, it's the same. It's just as, just as significant. And it is in our world and time. And that was what was so exciting was to be at the feet of these people here and now. That was the thrill, really the thrill. Yeah, I um, I can only imagine. Yeah. I, I've been to concerts, but but just what? It's so silly to sit on your computer and watch Newport and have your eyes well up. For me, yes, I don't. My eyes don't well up very often. I watched it again this afternoon before coming here, and I did the same thing again. Yeah, yeah it was amazing. Just something else. Well, I've looked at Nan for both sides now, <laughs> up and down, and still somehow. <laughs> It's Nan's illusions, I recall. Everybody, you really don't thank know you. Nan at all. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. It's always a great Wednesday when Nan is here. Dan, I'm going to be with you tomorrow. Yay. <laughs> Have a good afternoon, everybody. And they charge the people a dollar and a half just to see them. Seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They paid for it, eyes put up a parking lot. Hey, farmer, farmer, put away the DDT now. Give me spots on my apples, or leave me the birds and the bees. Please don't it always seem to go. That you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. Late last night, I heard the screen door slam. And a big yellow taxi took away my old man. Don't it always seem to go? That you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. I said, don't it always seem to go that you don't. When it's happening here in the valley, we're talking about it. What, what I'm trying to communicate is that there are many, many layers of, of safety management in place at every source to ensure that we reduce as much risk as, as possible. Does the Bliss Street Station intentionally vent gas regularly? Because I can tell you that it vents gas. Pretty much every time I've gone to that area, I have smelled gas. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the valley. We are WHMP. 
the only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 5 o'clock.